Welcome back to episode 39 of the Hockey House podcast presented by Selly Hockey Co., where the Hawaii snapbacks are back in stock and pre-orders for the white Trinidad Tobago hats are now available. Trevor Zegers was rocking his own this past weekend while watching his brother Billy play for UCLA, and so should you. These snapbacks go fast, so be sure to get yours today at sellyhockeyco.com. I'm your host, Mackenzie Murphy, as always, joined by Stephen Glick, Colin Fitzgerald, and executive producer David Herman. Herm, you're back behind the camera this weekend watching your brother play. How fun was that? It was great. I got to fly out to Detroit and completely surprise him. I had originally taken a gig shooting an EHL tournament up in Worcester, Massachusetts, but that gig fell through and I just didn't tell my brother that I was not going to be in Worcester and kind of hook, line, and sinkered him for a week and a half that I was going to be there. Popped up with my mother and grandmother out of the back of the car and <laughs> completely surprised the hell out of him. He he was very, very happy to see me. It was great to be behind the bench shooting the guys. USPHL hockey is something that I was just a little bit unfamiliar with, so their level of play is, is great. Getting to see Alex's first USPHL win and then ultimately an overtime winner was so, so, so cool. Really, really special. Awesome. And then Glick, big win for the Owls this weekend. Hey guys, Editor Herm here. Uh, so Glick's microphone completely cuts out at this point. Glick's Wi-Fi has some... Um, <clears throat> challenges sometimes in this case it ultimately corrupted the file so really really sorry about that guys he said it was a good weekend at temple and uh back to our regularly scheduled programming and then fitz or back to you fitz how'd you stay busy this week not doing much boys um kind of panicking found out that main camp starting early so i'm actually heading out this wednesday i'll be driving down to vermilion county we don't hit the ice until saturday so things are happening fast excited to see what happens and uh you know see how the season goes if i make the team how about you murph tough tough weekend here in syracuse it was so tough being in the locker room after after the game and being like oh geez like i gotta go on a podcast and talk about this in a couple days huge learning weekend for syracuse we played i mean stony brooks ranked 16th in the country and i mean i looked at that and was like wow that seems like a pretty high ranking for a team that hasn't played in a year and they picked up right where they left off uh when covid hit um not sure how many guys decided to take you know fifth years to do gap years i know in syracuse we had a couple guys choose two gap years Brendan Pepe was there, former guest of the show, is the captain of Stony Brook. I mean, they took it to us on opening night. And we have a really young team, a lot of 18 and 19-year-olds on our team. And I think that'll be kind of the theme of the year for us. And I think Stony Brook is probably the, the best team we have on our schedule. So to play them on opening weekend was definitely a, a wake-up call for a lot of guys. First night, we could not stay out of the penalty box. And that's Stony Brook power play will make you pay and so i want to say i was like minus one on opening night but i was it felt like i was on the ice for six goals because they were all power play goals second day hey hoping for better things but much of the same still another 8-1 loss all in all we, we got a good crowd on opening night they announced the attendance of 250 which doesn't sound like a lot around the league but 250 pretty much sells out tenity ice pavilion so it was good to have a, a huge crowd buddy Beheim from the basketball team came and dropped the puck so that was huge for us you know great experience but you know we would have liked to have had a win on an opening night or at least a closer game for fans but some cool takeaways from the weekend though like i said brendan pepe former guest of the show was checking in a lot of guys in the handshake line were telling me how cool the podcast was healthy scratch after the game came up to me told me that the podcast was really cool told us to keep it up so i mean that that's cool and take that with a grain of salt after getting outscored 16 to 2 over the weekend we're moving on to next weekend and hoping for some better results i was watching the game or if i gotta say your guys ring is sick i know we've talked about it 
a few times on the pod, but getting to finally see it was pretty cool. I was wondering, I was watching it with my brother. I was telling him, I was like, I wonder, you know, how Glick and Murph are going to get like treated on the ice this year by like, you know, kids who are on the other team. They're like, oh, you guys run that podcast. Like, you guys getting chirped or what's going on? It sounds like uh, you're not getting chirped. It's it's all love. Syracuse has some really weird fan rules right now. You know, they told us, I think I talked about it a little bit, but they said no fans. We couldn't have outside spectators. So if you were a student or a faculty member, you could come to the game because the rink's on campus, but they said no outside fans. And we protested that. And so they came back and said that friends and family could come, but no visiting fans. Well, it's like they're not checking people at the door to see if you're wearing a Stony Brook sweatshirt or not. So um, like we have to send out, we had to send out to teams to be like, hey, you know, you can't have fans come. Like that's just our policy. And so uh, Thomas Sullivan, goalie, goalie at Stony Brook, he's been featured on Mask Monday. Sully, he reached out to me. and was like, hey, like what's the deal with the fans? And I, I kind of like told him like, hey, just keep it on the down low. But like if you got parents coming, like they're fine to come. And so we said hi to each other during warmups and whatnot. And I talked to, to Pepe between a couple of whistles. Actually, in the second game, I had a puck in my feet. A guy went offside, so I tried to pull it back at the last second. And I saw this like big red jersey coming after me. I was like, oh, my God, I have my head down. Like, I'm going to get drilled right now. And then they blew the whistle, and he just like stopped right in front of me. And I was like, oh, is that like a, a thank? Is that a courtesy? Because I, yeah, I had you on the pod, so you're not going to hit me. I was like, I appreciate that. Up 6-1 in the third period, you're not going to hit me like that. So I like to have a little fun with it because, like I said, this weekend didn't exactly go our way. But hoping for better results this weekend. Our game of the week this past week was the the Gamecocks of South Carolina taking on the Clemson Tigers in the Palmetto Cup, the first installment of the series. And Gamecocks final score, they took the W, winning 6-5 to five over Clemson. Hard-fought battle by Clemson. I think that's a really tough place to play on the road, especially when you know, you're know you going to a place that's sold out in three minutes. Talk about how impressive that is for growing college hockey in the South. If you got people reselling tickets at $100 just to go see a, a hockey game, that's pretty awesome awesome especially during football season down there so that's really cool I know that there were some issues within the Clemson program this week um, those guys said that they are fired up to play because of it and we'll kind of just leave it at that but I know that they are playing for a lot more than just the Palmetto Cup this weekend so I think going down there and, and losing six to five is I, I know they wanted the W but good result on them and I'm looking forward to the, the second game of the series when Clemson's the host because I think you know that one will be really interesting Diving into things, another sellout this weekend. The return of Midnight Mayhem on the campus of Liberty University was really cool to see. The LaHaye Ice Center won our battle of the Barnes competition. And for the past year, they've been at limited capacity due to COVID. And I believe this was the first game back at full capacity because they played Dearborn on Friday night. It didn't look like there were too many people there. And that's usually the big ticket of the Friday night games. But Saturday night was the Midnight Mayhem game. Liberty came out in their all black uniforms with their black gloves, black pants, black helmets. It was great crowd. It was like the the classic Liberty hockey that you see on YouTube of the packed barn. As much as we can't stand Liberty, it was really cool to see that that barn back at full capacity this weekend. I don't know if you guys saw the highlights. I've been there for one midnight mayhem, and I can say in person that atmosphere is electric. It's the light show, how rowdy the fans get. It's so, so hard to play in. I, I love the shot they had on their Instagram story, too, of the fans lined up. The line legitimately wrapped around the building, and it is a big building. So that was cool to see. And, you know, once again, like I said, the, the jersey treatment, too, to do the blackout on Midnight Mayhem is is pretty cool. And, I mean, Dearborn put up a fight. Both games were, were close, and, and Liberty kind of pulled away in the third period in both of those. But hats off to the Dearborn guys, another team that did play this past season going into an environment where that team is 
has been playing for the past year. So that was cool. Keeping on the theme of, of midnight games, Kentucky played Dayton this weekend and there was a big win Saturday night. Kentucky beat Florida in football. I believe it was the first time since the 80s that Kentucky football beat the Florida Gators at home. So they stormed the field afterwards and that game got done around 1030 at night. And Kentucky plays their games at midnight. So I can't imagine what that's like being on the team and seeing everybody storm the field at the football game while you're getting warmed up for your own game. That's a crazy experience. But my thoughts on Kentucky, they released those new jerseys. Great set of uniforms. They've got the black, the white, and the alternate gray. My only beef with them is they keep wearing the gray jerseys but the gray socks have not come in. I don't know if they ordered gray socks or if they go without them, but they keep wearing the gray jerseys with the white socks. And it's just, it's a tough look for me. Fitz, I think, I think you agree with me here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's looking like they got some kid wearing some just regular CCM brand white socks on the far left in their picture here. It's got no UK on the, on the socks. So that's a tough look. I think like you're saying, all gray socks would look pretty nasty because those jerseys are really cool that they got going there. I think they've just pulled the trigger too quickly here. Like I think you, you just waited out another month for the gray socks to come in and then, and then you bust them out. In other news this weekend, Lindenwood took on Denver in their first NCAA exhibition of the year. Didn't quite go as planned for the Lions. They fell nine to one to the Pioneers. I know it was a huge game for Denver because it was the first game that they could have fans again. Interesting to see. I, I know a lot of NCAA teams play Canadian colleges in the preseason to get games under their belt. Kind of cool seeing Denver choose to play an ACHA team, give them a little more exposure. Almost, I don't know, rivals the quality of play, but certainly cool to see. My one takeaway from the weekend is it's been interesting. Lindenwood's kind of in this transition year, and Herm and I both noticed, but they seem to be a little quiet on social media. I know their Division Two team is pretty big on social media. You see a lot of posts from them, but their Division One team is a little quiet. And I don't know if that's just because they're still making that transition to the full-time athletic department or what it is, but I'd like to see them post a little bit more and kind of be prouder of the product that they're putting on the ice. In terms of social media this weekend, though, one team that did kill it, though, was Keene State. Keene State hosted UNH this weekend. I know when we had the St. Joe's guys on, there was a lot of New Hampshire talk from me, but very rarely do people mention ACHA hockey in New Hampshire just because in the Northeast, and I know University Hockey Report mentioned this today on Twitter, but ACHA hockey in the Northeast isn't very popular because so many of these small D3 schools have had hockey teams for so long, and you don't see schools have ACHA hockey without a varsity team. And so Keene State is one of those division three schools that does not have a varsity hockey team. So their ACHA team is very popular on campus and they play at a a brand new rink that's about, I want to say maybe eight years old at this point. They pack the place. It's not on campus, but it's within walking distance of campus. They played in-state rival UNH. That's a big game that everybody gets up for. And, and they won in overtime. And the content that came out of it from Rowan Hopkins was was top notch. Not only did he get the, the OT winner, but he also got some high quality footage of Hockey House All-Star Joe Nutting with a, a slick toe drag and a backdoor pass caught on camera. I don't know if you guys saw the highlight of that one, but pretty cool setup. Rowan wasn't on his own, too. He, he had Berg.Visuals there, too. And those two together, you know, they caught every moment of the action at Keene. And great to see small schools like that. I know we talk a lot about these bigger schools with Division One ACHA programs that don't have hockey performing well, but Keene State's an underrated one in the Northeast just because they're a smaller school. But like I said, Hockey House All-Star Joe Nutting, former Division One lacrosse player, 
who transferred to Keene State and now plays lacrosse and ACHA hockey there. So shout out to those guys for getting a win on opening night in our Hockey House All-Star group chat. He was actually talking that the night before the game, they had a scratch sewing Velcro onto the game socks because the game socks arrived just before the game and they didn't have Velcro on them. So they had to have a scratch, get a sewing kit and Velcro some socks onto it. So I'm glad that they could come away with the win and, and some great contact. I know Pavel Barber uh, was reposting the video as well. So shout out to the Keen State Owls this weekend. All right, Fitz, this is where we get you involved here. My next topic, it, it transitions. The, the kid who scored the OT winner for Keen State catching a lot of flack on TikTok especially, but he's got the half fishbowl, half cage combo. And when he celebrates, he goes right into the camera and you just get a clear cut vision of, of, of what he's rocking. And so I know we've gotten some comments on Hockey House posts in the past about style. So I figured this will be our time to recap what's good style and what's not. And I know Fitz, you, you've caught a lot of heat in your hockey past for this. I'm the perfect person to ask about style. You know, I've always had the greatest style out there on the ice. But um, I got to say, it was a tough look. I, I saw it when you sent you sent it in and you posted it. And I was like, uh, maybe if we're playing, you know, like chill the video game, it's like a funny joke if you like do that. But I don't think it works. And then the Selly, he goes away from the team. He's like trying to get away from his team instead of going towards his team. And I'm like, you just scored the OT winner. You got to go Selly with the boys. So that was a little... um. I think that's what separates, you know, people wonder why they didn't get picked as a hockey house all-star. Our boy Joe Nutting, he he's got the unselfish pass after the toe drag, getting the apple for the goal. And then this guy with the birdcage he's got rocking, he doesn't even sell you with the boys when he scores the OT winner. So tough look, tough selly, but hey, he got the OT winner, so. Well, Fitz, counterpoint, if you score the OT winner, are you skating towards the bench to hug the boys or are you skating towards the student section to jump in the glass? I think he skated away from because it looked like the student section was behind the net that he scored at and he just skated like to the other side. It was standing room only around the net and then the bleachers were on that side that he was skating to and I don't think he made it there because his teammates came from behind and kind of tackled him. You tried to sidestep him. You just you just got to hug the boys. They'll, they'll bring you to where they need to bring you, but you, you got to see the boys first. You, you got to see the boys first especially the boys who are wearing black cages and fishbowls because i think that's the rule we're going with that is where we draw the line here if you want to look good in photos black cage or fishbowl there's no in between you can go bauer black cage you could do oreo cage you could do ccm whatever it be it's got to be a black cage and a fishbowl. You want to go with the Bauer fishbowl that works. The CC CCM's got a new bubble that works too. It's got to be black cage or fishbowl. Produces the best looking pictures. I said the, the only exception to the white cage is if the whole team does it. I know ASU's Division I NCAA team, they have an alternate jersey where they have the yellow helmets with the white cages. Looks fine because it's uniform. Everyone's got it. If you're the only guy rocking a white cage, you stick out like a sore thumb. White cages are a no unless the whole team's wearing them if you want extra style points you could throw some white ear loops on good style compliments good photography if you look good the photographers are going to look even better so yeah herm make sure your helmet colors are matching too i saw it at duquesne this weekend guys if you're all wearing blue helmets and one guy's got a red one what's going on there 
to chime in on that, one of my favorite uniforms in, in the ACHA and college hockey is Bama's look. You know, they 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 look just like the football team. And I know we talked about Bama having some issues financially, so I can understand this. But they had some photos in their series against Maryville where some guys weren't wearing the the crimson helmet with the white stripe. And I was like, ah, darn, that's I feel bad for those guys because you're you know they're pro- especially a school like that. They're probably waiting for the team order to come in, and they just had games scheduled in early September. Matching equipment is huge, and and if you can't get team gear, I go with a neutral color like navy or black and everybody get on the same page it just makes it look a lot better and your program will look a lot better too so extra style points to the the kid on stony rook this weekend who was rocking the 4500 with the classic iTech oreo cage uh it is the same look i had in peewees in 2012 it is a timeless look it is actually i think that's the peak of hockey style i'm not roasting this kid for wearing what i wore in peewees it was just like that was good style then and like i could never go back to wearing a 4500 because those things have absolutely no padding in them it was fun to wear in peewees when i knew i wasn't getting blown up at the blue line but uh, i'm gonna choose safety this time around for my college career but shout out to that guy like that's it takes a lot of guts to wear rock that look in in 2021 which brings me to my next point. I want to give a shout out to Michigan Dearborn and Minot State because those were two teams that were rocking team issued 4500s. And and for those of you who don't know, I think most guys do, but the 4500 is the stock Bauer helmet that like Bauer has had since they were Cooper back in the 90s. You know, you see it, it's 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 almost as iconic as the classic CCM bucket, but these helmets have no padding. And Brett Vaccarello from Millersville talked about his freshman year, how many concussions he had because they had team issued 4500s. So I'm fine. Yep. Yep. There we go. Fitz has tossed his on now for the podcast. That's perfect. Ready to go now, boys. Sorry, I forgot to break out the 4500. I didn't know we were talking about him tonight. I don't have beef with the 4500. I just have beef. You can't have it be the team issued helmet. I think safety is a a top priority now in 2021. So it was good. I saw some photos over the weekend. It seems as though Michigan, Dearborn and Minot State have both switched to the React helmet. Give or take, there's a couple guys still rocking the 4500. You know, that's up to their own discretion at this point. Fitz, the comfort on that thing that was unbelievable right oh it's it's great if you're i was talking to my brother because we're you know we're just kind of playing men's league and not getting tossed around like we used to we were thinking about going back to the 4500s because i'm just like you murph i wore this you know back at peewees when i was younger it's there's nothing in here it's literally just like little piece of cardboard in there and that's all you got protecting you it's like a step above the Jofa helmet that Gretzky wore in terms of protection. Yeah, and the style is a little bit better. Exactly, exactly. On a more serious note, though, we did have some issues with the officiating in a game this weekend. Surprise, surprise. We had some clips from the West Virginia Robert Morris game on Thursday night get sent to us. A couple of ridiculous no calls. I know Herm got to see these highlights. Boys, I don't know if you if you got to watch them too, but very obvious tripping penalty um, that, that went uncalled, and then at the buzzer West Virginia pulled their goalie for the extra attacker and this man not only gets hauled down but two guys just grab him and push him into the push him into the boards away from the puck clearly interference Robert Morris went on to win the game and that was a huge conference game for both of those teams and you know I'm not saying that game goes to overtime if they make the right call but you got to think that there's a better chance of it doing so so what were your takeaways from that horrendous no call was outraged for West Virginia and from what I saw the West Virginia coach was too I believe he chucked like his clipboard all the way onto the ice had some had some good distance on that I gotta say just blatant blatant missed calls 
Huge shout out to the guys who sent us that, too, because I think we get not a lot of bad officiating complaints, but I think it's like sometimes you get complaints and it's like, ah, like you can kind of see what the ref was thinking there. But no, these ones were straight black and white, like anyone could call them. And and it stinks to see a game go like that. But shout out to the guys from West Virginia. They went back home to Morgantown and got the sweep over George Mason uh, this weekend. So the boys ended on a high note taking two of three this weekend that wraps up our rundown and now it's time to introduce this week's guest jj santagata he joins us he's a former player at Ryder university and founder of lead by example training he had some crazy stories from his college days in jersey and we're looking forward to bringing them to you we're pleased to be joined by former Ryder university player and founder of lead by example training please welcome coach jj santagata on Coach, welcome to the Hockey House. Yeah, awesome. This is an awesome setup you guys got going. I, I wish when I was in college, someone did this. When I was in college, we used to do a radio show at Ryder. It used to be called In the Stands. And we used to do something similar to this. And it was just like three of our teammates. And we would just talk hockey, like not ACHA, just like NHL. Like I was a Rangers fan. We had two other Rangers fans, an Islanders fan, a Flyers fan. It was awesome. But I wish someone did this. And when I found you guys, I was just like, this is so cool. Like, you know, it's such a lost league, I feel like in the hockey world. And it's so cool to see some exposure for it. I like the name in the stands. We talked last week. We were going over like when we were trying to come with names for this show. Um, and how we landed on Hockey House in the stands is a good one. I like Hockey House because like, you know, the ACHA, you know, where you go in the Hockey House. So it's just like, it's cool. Exactly. And so what have you been up to lately? I, I've been kind of coaching, you know, when I graduated, I just started coaching. So like, you know, how I got into, I guess you could say like hockey when I was younger, I started playing roller hockey and didn't touch ice skates until I was like 10. And I just played roller hockey. And then I got right into travel hockey at like squirts, my second year of squirts. And then I played for like a 14 year AAA team. And I ended up quitting because I just, you know, the team was just not the most welcoming kids. And I played like four months with those kids. And I ended up quitting, took like six months off ice hockey total. And then I went back and I played, you know, just some 16U AA. And then I played juniors for the Apple Corps. And when I was getting ready to graduate high school, I was just like all set on playing juniors and not really going to college. But my roommate, you know, not my roommate, who well, who became my roommate, he was my teammate on juniors and he reached out to me. He's like, hey, like this coach from Ryder wants to speak to you. Uh, you know, I just gave him your number and he's going to reach out. And once my mom caught wind of it, she basically was like, you're going to college, you're going to play hockey there, blah, blah, blah. And I I was all set on like, no, like I wasn't school smart at all. I was an absolute jackass. I didn't want to go to school. I just wanted to play hockey, see where it took me. If I didn't go to school, I was kind of set on like just not going to college. But I ended up going to Ryder and it turned out to be the best four years of my life. So kind of happy. Once you got to Ryder, what was your welcome to the ACHA moment? I was playing in Virginia Tech where they played in like Roanoke, the beautiful arena. Like it was like an AHL or ECHL arena. It's a beautiful arena and those locals are absolutely insane. When I was a freshman, I had a little bit of a temper. I'll admit it. We were getting ready to like the defensive coaches talking to us and the fans were like all behind us, like banging on the glass. And there's like this 12 year old, maybe even younger, banging on the glass. And the coach is talking to us. He's like, don't look at the fans. Like, don't pay attention to them. And I look at this kid and this kid's banging on the glass and he like flips me off. He's like 11 years old and he gives me the middle finger. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I flipped him right back off and I told him to go fuck himself. We get playing, game goes on, 
And I ended up getting a penalty. And this kid, I watched him walk all the way around the arena to the penalty box. And he's banging on the glass and he's telling me I suck, this and that. Like, I'm brutal. And this kid's 11 years old. And I can't just think, I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, like, this is absolutely insane. Like, I, that, you would have thought, like, you were playing in, like, the ECHL. Like, you know, it was, it was insane. But it was, like, those fans in Virginia and Liberty, Delaware, Maryland, those people were insane and just off the rocker that's why we do what we do for the fans <laughs> it was so funny I'll, I'll never forget that and i i'll never forget flipping off a 12 year old like my third game into the season we need to find this kid we gotta track him down <laughs> he's probably like 18 19 years old gotta be by now and he's probably doing the same thing to 12 year olds around the arena Maybe he's playing in the Acha these days. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Most people who grow up in Roanoke, Virginia, don't end up leaving. Thanks for coming on again, JJ. Just looking more at Ryder Hockey, what was the, the state of the program like when you first got there? It's been growing more and more as I got like onto the program. When I first got there, we were a, we were a really competitive team. I mean, we had like top guys that we were going like top teams we were going against against like Penn State and Liberty University. Like there were those were the top programs and we always gunned for those programs. And when we ended up beating them my freshman year, the first round of the playoffs, we ended up upsetting Penn State. I remember Penn State had like cake and like stuff already like in their like back room ready to like be eaten by the seniors for like their round one playoff win. And we ended up beating them round one of the playoffs and like upsetting them. I mean, that was a big win for us. And then the next year we ended up like beating Liberty during the regular season, which ended up in like a huge line brawl and uh, at the end of the game. And I mean, we beat some top teams. But when I got there, like, you know, the program, we probably had like 35 kids on the roster. The years went on. It kind of like fell off a little bit. But my senior year. We ended up going to regionals and beating Ohio in the in OT. And I mean, they're they've grown a ton. I mean, they're they're getting like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven recruits coming out of juniors now. I mean, the program's growing. It's awesome to see that they're growing. And uh, I try and donate and help out as much as I can. I mean, I still break down video for the coach if whenever he asks me to. Describe the home barn. How is it like playing there? Do you get a lot of fans? How's the locker room? Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the home barn was honestly, I, do you guys know Lauk's Ice Arena? I just watched a video before on it, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's like, it's a legit barn. That arena probably hasn't been updated since it's been put there. Like, it's never been touched. Like, they still have banners from like 1920 in the arena. They haven't redone the stands at all. It's a legit barn, which was awesome because it wasn't big. So if you had like 100 people there, it felt like there were 300 people there. I mean, the fans were cool. And it's like that ACHA type of culture where like, your friends of friends of friends come. I mean, there were times where we'd have like pink in the rink, which was like our breast cancer awareness game. And we would sell out. We'd have like 300, 400 people there. We'd do our best to like get buses to go to the games for fans and whatnot. Playing in that barn was a lot of fun. The best rink that I played in was probably Virginia Tech. I love playing at home just because it was small. If you had a little people in it, it felt like there were like 300 plus people there. So, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. The fans were pretty cool. We had some we had some good moments with fans getting rowdy and getting loud and screaming at opponents. So it was, it was a ton of fun. You talked about Virginia Tech a couple times. Times now, who are some of the other big rivals that you guys played at? Virginia Tech for sure, Penn State for sure. I think it was our second year. They just got that new D1 arena when we were playing there for the NCAA D1. They just got that new arena and we played like on that arena. We might have been my third year. It was it was honestly that was sick. 
I mean, we showed up five minutes before the game because our bus like broke down and we had like two seconds to get dressed and get on the ice. No warm up, just go right into the game, basically. But that was a sick that was a sick barn. And we always had good matchup against them. Rowan's another big rival for us. You know, playing at that old Hollydale Arena was something else. They would always pack it out and we'd always keep it close with them. I think our biggest rivals were like within our conference, which was like Penn State, Udell, Maryland, Virginia Tech. It was always like a one or two goal game. Sometimes we'd have flukes where we'd lose by five goals. I watched some highlights from one of your guys' games against Delaware. It looked really fun. Talk about the little pregame thing you guys got going in the locker room. That's sick. The prayer one? Yeah. That started when one of our teammates, his sophomore year, he implemented it because he came from a private like Catholic school. So they always used to pray before the game. And I loved it. I think I thought it was so cool. I mean, it used to get us going so, so quickly. You just stand around the locker room holding each other's hands for like a minute. And you're just saying a prayer like that. I, I don't know if you saw the whole thing, but it's I can't recite it now. I definitely forgot most of it. But yeah, the kid Nick Lelum got us into it, and I I hope they still do it now. I don't know if they do. I know he graduated two years ago. It just became a ritual. I mean, it's just an easy way to, A, just put in some like tradition into the team, build a culture, and just something cool to do with the guys before you hit the ice and you go to battle. For those listening, when he says prayer, it's a little more energetic than just a uh, gather around and say a prayer. It got me fired up. It's not like Tim Tebow pregame <laughs> prayer. It's like, I don't know. I guess you can say like it's a sermon or something. We say fuck sometimes in it, so... <laughs> So you're talking about Nick. You know, I don't want you to say any of your, you know, your favorites on the team you had, but talk about just some uh, some teammates that you hold, you know, in a special place in your heart or maybe some good memories with some of them. Some guys I played, I played three years with, four years with. My roommate, Chris Johnson, kid was an absolute fucking workhorse. I mean, that kid would literally skate through a brick wall if you ask him to do it. There was no slowing that kid down. Anytime he needed a goal, that kid was there. Kid was the heart of the team, pulse of the team. Anything you would need, you'd go to him. Guys like that I played with for three years, who was a captain for a year, Larry Walker. Just a, a type of kid who was a smaller kid, but just had a chip on his shoulder and would just go out and run kids through walls if he needed to. He would always be the first in the corner for a puck, never be afraid to back down. And those are the type of things that you look for in teammates. Like, you know, you're playing 25, 35, 40 minutes a game. You got to find something internal. And you usually look to your teammates to the right and left to give you that motivation so when you look at guys like that those are the guys that you think of and then like special bonds like off and on the ice like my teammate like Michael Katz he probably could have been better than he was he was a little bit fucking lazy but and he knows it so I can say that yeah he's an awesome kid off the ice just super supportive great kid great teammate one of my D partners that I had for two years he went and tried out for an ECHL team and I prayed I hope he made it but he didn't end up making it he was a great mentor great leader for me Connor Fox kid was like six foot two he looked like a fullback in the nfl i mean i literally watched him hit a kid so hard and the kid took about a minute and a half to get up like it literally looked like he was dying on the ice we played temple one year actually and some kid came across the middle of the ice and he hit this kid so hard that he like dented his cage in never seen it before in my life those are the moments that you remember and stuff like that and man i mean i'll never forget because he was a great he was an awesome player great leader great teammate and just such a horse on the ice those are the things you remember with the, the dented cage and you know traveling over virginia tech and on any of these times on the road were there any crazy incidents that you guys had i mean yeah i mean you're playing in the asha and you gotta some clubs have small budgets some clubs have big budgets we had a decent sized budget so we were a four 
boarded like a usually a pretty nice bus but you know you're it's not the nhl where things go smooth and you're taking like these million dollar buses to games we broke down on the side of the road and the bus had to pull over and we had to literally call a new bus change buses and then get back on this new bus and take off we took a road trip to ohio which i think was like 10 hours and that was the most brutal ride ever we had guys like sleeping like in like the overhead storage guys sleeping on the floor bringing like xboxes playing video games those type of moments are the moments that you remember and that you always like remember like just think talking about it now comes up we were leaving delaware and we literally left one of our teammates at the rink and we're like pulling out getting ready to go we make it right and like the kid calls us he's like you left me at the rink So those are the moments that you most likely remember, like, yeah, wins and losses you remember, but those that stuff off the ice in the locker room, those are, those are the best times. Before we get into your coaching career, what was it like being named the captain your senior year? It was awesome. I think like a cap isn't something like, usually you wanted to be the best player. That's always like typical, but I'm not saying like I was the best player. There was definitely a player or two better than me on that team. How you go about yourself, how you respect your teammates, how you lead you know off the ice on the ice do you lead with action are you more of like a go out and lead and like with your play type of person do you lead with your voice do you lead with those type of like internal things I I think being a captain was honestly the best part of my senior year and honestly what brought me into coaching I I think if I don't be named captain that senior year I don't get into coaching and start my own like hockey training and camping clinic business so it taught me a lot about like your actions off the ice make up more of who you are as a person than your actions on the ice these younger kids they're looking to someone they're looking to attach to something and look up to someone one year those freshmen and sophomores it's really important to have a good senior leader without that and those freshmen and sophomores like you know you can make or break their college career if they have a bad senior leader so I think it's super important and those type of things build a program if you have good leaders usually like you know those sophomores and freshmen become leaders and they kind of carry that same stuff on it's that it was definitely the best thing that happened to me so it was cool what did you try to leave behind in your senior year accountability is a big one I mean you guys know you're playing ACHA like you're not there getting paid to go to school like no one's paying for your scholarship unless like you're an absolute academic weapon and you're just like smart as shit which I wasn't so like I had to grind my way through school so you're you're there on your own dime so these kids that come and play like you know they're not coming and playing because like the coach was like hey you have a chance to go to the NHL and get drafted after this like there isn't like most people's end of the road is the ACHA and you're lucky if you go and play overseas or the EC so those type of things like you got to understand like these kids are doing it on their own dime and on their free time. Like a lot of these kids can go and join a frat and just get drunk every single weekend if they wanted to. You're taking those weekends off and you're going to Virginia Tech nine hours away and you're not going to see, you know, your friends back at school. Feeding into these kids accountability, holding each other accountable, being responsible for your actions, being responsible for what you do off the ice. Like what you do off the ice is just as important on the ice. You want to build a winning culture. You can't just like be a lump on a log off the ice and then just expect people to follow you on the ice you got to breathe eat shit fucking that type of stuff so being a leader i mean it's important what i tried to instill in these kids is like you know you, you got to work hard and you see something going wrong you got to speak up you got to hold each other accountable you can't just let this kid go off and just like go through the motions because he's the best player on the team or he's the assistant captain or you know he's a new recruit like you beat into them from day one if they don't want to hold that standard day one then get it the fuck out of here basically how i would say it 
So uh, you mentioned earlier a little bit about your training company. Tell us a little bit about that and like how it, how it, how you started and how, how far you've been able to get it to go. It's been a journey. Uh, I was actually a graduate assistant in uh, Virginia where George Mason plays out of. And I was a graduate assistant over there. And I ended up just falling upon a coaching position. And I coached the 14U team at uh, Prince William Ice Center in Manassas, Virginia. You know, I basically was like in grad school and I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm not doing grad school. I'm just going to start coaching full time. So I applied to a bunch of jobs from there. I, you know, I was always into fitness and health and working out and being in shape during college. So I took that plus hockey and almost made it a business. So when I got into coaching, I started just like breaking down video and doing like game review and all that type of stuff. And then as I dropped out of my master's and I began coaching full time, I began doing training, personal training, strength training for athletes. And then I applied for a bunch of coaching jobs and I landed in Ames, Iowa, which is where I'm located right now, which is Des Moines, Iowa. And I was the head coach of an Ames high school hockey team. You know, I was like, I'm not going to like do a nine to five. I'm just going to be a trainer. You know, I trained basically anyone and everyone I can who was an athlete and wanted to get better. Two years went by, COVID happened. Gyms were kind of like shut down. Not a lot of people working out. You didn't really have much to do. It wasn't the greatest year for me. Like, 2019 or whatever the fuck COVID was. This summer, I, you know, I ended up actually getting let go from my coaching team and I stayed around the area and I stayed here and I started my camps and clinics and training. I ended up running two defenseman camps that had 30 players in it. I ended up running a skills camp that had 35 players in it. I ended up running like personal like skates with like squirts, peewees and bantams that had like anywhere from 15 to player skaters in it each week. And then I did like, you know, strength training for athletes, like mainly hockey players. I tried to stick to hockey players and only hockey players and ended up having like 25 hockey players in the gym with me this summer. And now I'm transitioning to like in season where now I'm coaching a 14U team. I'm training some high school hockey players, bantam players, peewee players. I mean, it's definitely been an awesome journey it's been a grind it's been a it's been tough as shit but you know that's the acha mentality i guess like just grind it out find a way but i mean i think that's the biggest thing for uh a lot of these kids that play the acha is like when i started applying to jobs i had like a lot of people say to me like oh you're dude you're not gonna like you're not gonna get any coaching jobs like no one wants a guy who played in the acha and i'm like all right cool so i just applied to as many fucking jobs i could i got a bunch of people reach out. I was supposed to coach a junior team this season, but I just didn't want to like go back home for a little amount of money, anything like that. And, you know, I do some scouting for a company. I'm the assistant strength coach for the Des Moines Buccaneers USHL team. So like, even if you play in the ACHA and obviously there's going to be some teams out there like, oh no, I'm not fucking picking that. Could you play in the ACHA? Keep applying, dude. Like there's plenty of people out there who want a young, energetic, passionate kid who's willing to teach the game to these kids the right way develop players someone who loves the game someone who's invested in the kids and the game and making kids better so i I think if you play in the acha don't let that be like a crutch and don't let that hold you back from like doing anything well jj i think you wrapped that up perfectly i think that the whole point of this podcast is to promote our league and in a positive way and a lot of the times we talk about the opportunities given to players but i think you come from a great perspective and talking about the coaching side of it afterwards you know it's definitely 100 true guys are looking at resumes and saying ah acha 
okay. Like, what is that? Did he just play beer league all four years? Like that, he's not going to coach anywhere. Like you said, this is a legit league and these teams are legit operations. And it's about, you know, like you said, you apply to every coaching job you could find and, and eventually going to land one and they'll see that, you know, you've got what it takes to be at that level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw firsthand like that Ames, Iowa, where ISU, that D1 team plays. And I mean, there's some legit players. I always say it all the time. Like those kids are just as good as some NCAA D3 players. So like, yeah, you might be in the ACHA, but you have the talent. You just got to be able to take your talent and mold it into whatever the fuck you want to do after life. Well, JJ, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us tonight. And um, good luck this upcoming season and, and all the trainings that you have ahead of you. Thanks, JJ. Once again, thank you to JJ for joining us this week. That interview was presented by Selly Hockey Co. Be sure to stock up on Selly Hockey gear for the fall. Crewnecks are the perfect thing to wear this time of year, and Selly Hockey has plenty of new styles to choose from, including Canada Hockey, Russia Hockey, Mini Haha Waves, and Bishop Sycamore Apparel. Selly Hockey Crewnecks are a classic fit with no center crease, guaranteeing a comfortable fit every time. My personal favorite is the Powder Blue Tribute to the Mini Haha Waves. Herm, have you scooped one up yet? Not quite yet, but I'm planning on picking up one of those Eden Hall crewnecks real soon. Perfect. All right. Well, once again, thank you to JJ for joining us. Awesome interview, giving us some insight on Ryder University. School we haven't really talked about a lot on this podcast, but cool to, to hear some of his stories from his time in Jersey. We've got some good games on deck for this weekend. Our game of the week takes us to the Ogden Ice Sheet in Utah as Weber State hosts Montana State in some D2 ACHA action. Looking forward to this one. Uh, Weber State's a team that's been hot to start off the year. Montana State's kind of a program on the rise in Division Two, so that'll be a good game to watch out for. Another good game this week. We've got a top 10 matchup in Adrian, Michigan. The Michigan-Dearborn Wolverines are, are traveling back from Lynchburg, Virginia, where they got swept, and they're going to go play the number one team in the country, the Adrian Bulldogs. So this is going to be another good matchup, good in-state rivalry between Dearborn and Adrian. So that'll be another good one to watch out for. I know I talked about it earlier, but a tough weekend for Syracuse. It was it was a long week as a whole for our program. A lot of stuff to to deal with, with talking about logo issues and getting everything ready for for opening weekend. And I, I wanted to talk about just how thankful I was to just have the opportunity that I have had in the ACHA and, and not to get sentimental or anything. But when I was looking at schools during my PG year and, you know, there weren't any D3 schools look, giving me looks, maybe like one or two, but not schools that I was at all interested in attending. I mentioned this earlier on the show, but there's not a lot of ACHA teams in the Northeast to choose from. And I remember my dad telling me like, hey, like give these ACHA schools a look like you've been so involved with your hockey teams growing up. Like if you go to a division three program, like everything's going to be run by the athletic department and like you, you won't have much involvement. And I've had more than my fair share of involvement here in my time in Syracuse. So I'm very thankful for that. And it was really cool. I know once again, we didn't get the results we were looking for, but to see everything come together from the past year and just be able to get on the ice was, was a really cool feeling. And and so, you know, and hearing from the Stony Brook guys about how much they love listening to the show, I was thankful for the opportunities that have been given me thus far. And uh, it, it was great to be back out on the ice. And speaking of thankful opportunities, Jack Wallace was the photographer at this weekend's game in Syracuse, and he did a great job. And this is where I turn it over to Herm because what's your message this weekend, Herm? <clears throat> I'm going to make sure I get really, really close to the mic on this one. Tag your fucking photographers, please. It's his biggest pet peeve, and, and I stand by it too because these photographers do such a great job. Most of them 
I'd say 95% of them are not being paid to do what they do and, and take photos. And yes, it helps with their portfolio. But uh, when you're sharing the work of the photographers, it, it helps your program. It helps your image. It, it's a reflection of that photographer. So be sure to properly tag them and do not edit their photos. To continue on that, a couple of things I want to add. One, when you're tagging the photographer, do not exclusively do it in the caption. You need to make sure that they're tagged in the image itself. That way it shows up on their profile. That goes for not only players, but team accounts as well. Also, if you run the team account and you took the photos, feel free to tag yourself. This one is specifically for players, but don't throw some dog shit Instagram filter on it. Don't miscrop the photo where it looks terrible when when you ultimately wind up tagging us. And make sure to download the photos in the proper quality. If you get sent a Google Drive folder, a Dropbox folder, their Smug Mug, WeTransfer, whatever it is, don't fucking screenshot the photos, please, because it degrades our work. We spend so much time going through capturing, culling, editing the images, posting it in subpar quality makes us look bad. And then when you don't tag us, imagine you know, imagine how pissed you would be. You set up a beautiful, beautiful goal, and you go and celebrate with your teammates. And not only does the PA announcer leave you off of the announcement, but the ACHA website leaves you out, and it just it's like it never happened. How pissed would you be at that point? We want to get credit for our work too. What I don't quite understand is that if you have the capability to tag all of your line mates in the post, you can go and find out who the photographer is if you don't know who they are. They are most likely a student who is working their ass off tirelessly to provide you that same image that you're posting on your social media platforms. It really, really pisses me off to, to know that they don't get their due credit. All right, we're going to let Herm cool down for a little bit. But going on and talking about proper credit, had a really cool moment today. Trevor White pulled off the Michigan move in Marquette's game this weekend, and their producer for the team, Carlo Pichetti, took an awesome shot of the goal. Not only did he post it, but he took the time to make a really cool edit out of it. And the editing skills made all the difference because his video ended up being reposted by Butcher Gross, ended up being reposted by Spit and Chicklets. Not to say it's watered down, but the Michigan goals have been coming more often than ever before. You know, they're so popular nowadays. And so, you know, what are you going to do to make yours look that much cooler? And, and having a quality edit of it is that answer. So I know we talked about Rowan Hopkins at Keene and what he's doing, but Carlo Pichetti is another guy we want to give a huge shout out to because time and time again, I, we had the tweet today, invest in your creatives. But if you're listening to this and your team doesn't have a photographer or a video guy or just somebody making content to the team, you should start looking because it really makes all the difference, especially in recruiting and getting your program out there on the map. But not to discredit anyone who scored a Michigan goal this weekend, Tommy Davis also pulled it off in Bradley's game against McKendry in D2 action. You know, the low quality live stream camera didn't quite have the same effect that uh, Paquetti's video did of the Trevor White goal. I know I, I mentioned him a couple of times. Brendan Pepe, I would have I would have never let him live it down, but he attempted the Michigan while I was on the ice this weekend. The puck did not come up on his stick and we cleared the puck out right away. But I want to say it was like a five on three and he tried to do it and they were up like five goals at this point. I, I thought I'd, I'd throw that in there. But shout out to not only... Tommy Davis of Bradley for pulling off the Michigan, but shout out to the Bradley goalies, Cole Walter, Joshua Soul, and Devin Schneider, all recorded shutouts this weekend. The three combined for 10 total periods of shutout hockey. That's a pretty cool stat, especially this early on the year. 
cool to see all three goalies getting playing time and, and doing well while doing it. That's all we have for this week. Once again, thank you for tuning into the Hockey House podcast presented by Selly Hockey Co. We're once again looking forward to another exciting weekend of hockey, and uh, we hope you tune in next week. Thanks, boys. See you, boys, next week.